Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to continue with our study in Luke chapter 4. Read along with me, if you will, verse 16, beginning in verse 16. So he, this is the Lord Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And they began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three and a half years, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him over the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. There is a curious thin line of understanding and of obedience that God has called us to follow as Christians as we pursue after knowledge about the Lord Jesus, this great Savior who has given his life to save us from our sins. And it's clear from these scriptures that God fully expects a response from you and me to the things that we learn. And though just as with these people in the synagogue, we may not always be able to fully comprehend what he's telling us in these words. And even beyond that, we might not really like some of the things that we learn from him. But again... Even so, a response from us is still required. A point of doctrine that we've spoken about often is the matter of man's free will, our free will, and how exactly our free will responses fit into the divinely orchestrated plans that God has arranged for us. And he does that. He arranges the things that take place in our lives. And here in this circumstance with the Lord Jesus, we find both the free will of man and the divine foreordaining of God fully at work within all that's taking place. 
as we know from the words of John 6.44, no one can come to Jesus except that the Father draws them. Think about those words. No one can come to Jesus except the Father draws them. And with that being so then, we know that these people who were there in that synagogue that day were divinely drawn to be there. But then we also quickly then find that these people's free will responses come to the surface. They were first approving of him, marveling at the things he was saying. But then quickly, they began rejecting him. And yes, these people's responses were strong. Some of it even violent. But while you and I, or even most of the people that we know in the churches of our day, might not have as strong a response to truths that we read about the Lord Jesus, still, throughout all the centuries since the Lord Jesus first walked on this earth, church members have been very opinionated, having strong responses to certain teachings within our churches. And church congregations have split. And whole denominations have been formed with hard-fought intellectual battles being waged. And much of it has been about these matters that I just mentioned. About God foreordaining a circumstance and then man's free will of response to it. And I must say to you that I barely understand enough about it to be able to preach its truth. But with all that being said, though, I am convinced that all that we will need to know is really right here, right here within the words of the Bible. And contrary to some of those arguments, those who would believe so strongly and hold so strongly to the absolute free will of man, and then those who would be of a more reformed response that agrees that God is sovereign and that he arranges circumstances. Contrary to those arguments, the words of these scriptures actually support both sides. That's an amazing thing. These scriptures support both sides of that argument. But folks, listen. The words of scripture are clear. God absolutely does foreordain whatsoever comes to pass, including the salvation by which we obtain eternal life. But yet, man must also exercise his free will to believe and then to receive that blessed person of the Son of God and to receive the salvation and the sanctification that he brings with him. We're told that in John chapter 1. We have to believe and to receive. My own understanding comes from the Bible teachers that explain it as being a form of concurrence. Concurrence. It's a word that we don't always use. But it's that mysterious phenomena through which the free will of man is able to become the same as God's will. I believe that I exercise some free will within my receiving of Christ as my Savior. But I also believe that God foreordained it. And so that mysterious coming together of his will and my will at that moment when I said, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And again, as regards my salvation, it's that mysterious phenomena in which God chooses me. He chooses me to be his own. He chooses you to be his own. 
while at the same time, it also seems to be me, you, making that choice of choosing to receive Him. I confess I have pondered that so often, and it's difficult to understand, but it really does take place. But listen, folks, my belief, based on these scriptures, is that God is always the first cause of all that takes place on the earth. And no, again, I don't really understand all that it takes to make this work out right. But I do know that it's true because it's right here in these scriptures. So then, how do these thoughts that I've just shared with you fit into the scripture text that is before us today? It's this. As Jesus stepped forward into the ministry that God the Father had sent him to carry out, he knew that though he really did not need to prove himself to any man, that there was still a sense in which it was necessary for each person to know exactly who he, who the Lord Jesus was, in order for them to truly believe in him. We know from these scriptures that there were many people at that time who were really looking forward to the coming Messiah. And so with them, it was probably easier for them to accept that Jesus was who he was saying that he was. But for most of those people, for most of those people, it seems that uh, that would not be so. Most of those people were so comfortable already with the religious system that they had in place. They knew generally how to obey the laws of the church. Much in the same way, by the way, that many of our would-be Christians of today, those folks that attend church every Sunday, how they're so comfortable with their religious methodology. They can follow the general rules of Christianity. But how deep is their personal faith? Those were the people that Jesus was going to have trouble with then. And those are the people that he has trouble with even today. As Jesus spoke these words that day to these people, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he said to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Folks, I can imagine that those words were shocking to the ears of many of the people who were present that day in that synagogue. Some who were truly listening. And not everybody listens all through a message, through a sermon. But those who were truly listening, they knew exactly what Jesus was declaring about himself. That he was saying that he really was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent to save them from their sins. The one sent as the Messiah, the true Son of God. And yes, some of them believed, but others were just not ready to accept it. And they questioned. And keep in mind, all through the Gospels, the Lord Jesus, it, it was said of him that he perceived their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. The Lord Jesus knew what these people were thinking right at this moment. And so when they began to question, who was he? declaring himself to be the Christ? Who is he to declare himself that he's this one that Isaiah was prophesying about? After all, is he not Joseph's son? The one that we've watched grow up? He has sat in the pews of this synagogue for 30 years. 
Is he not that same man? And yet he's saying to us that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. That kind of resistance would be the greatest challenge that Jesus would face as he stepped on forward into his ministry. To convince those obstinate people that he truly was the Messiah that they had read about in the scriptures. The one who had come to seek and to save them. Save them individually from their sins. Now to say that something could be difficult or a challenge to God. To the God who created this whole universe. It does not seem to be a right use of the word. But in reality it was and it still is. It was a challenge because God himself had placed those limitations upon himself. He chose the way of men in order that he might truly win men to himself. And so the people then, and we today, continually question, is Jesus really who he says he is? Do I believe that? Do I believe that enough to actually put my trust in him? Folks, by God's own design, it seems to come back to this matter of man's free will. Somehow in the councils of the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they concluded that for a person to truly love them, and for that person to truly surrender their lives to them, then that person's love and their surrender would best come as an act of that person's own will. And I'm also convinced that it has something to do with God's own holiness and his own righteousness. For God to remain holy and righteous as he contends with the sins of men, he would need to give us some freedoms of choice in the responses that we have to him. In other words, if you and I want to make a choice to turn our backs on Christ and to walk straight into the pit of hell, then somehow, within this mysterious concurrence of the wills, God will give us over to do that. We read about that in Romans chapter 1. In those words, as men and women choose to suppress the truth of God and instead to choose the lures of this world over the beloved God who had created us, it's said in those words that God gives them over to their depraved desires, even to eternal destruction. But then we also know that if we do turn from our evil ways and we surrender our lives to Christ and to His salvation, then in the same way, then He will gladly save us. And He tells us that. And in that same way, it very much seems to be a personal choice that's being made there. Does such allowances of choices on the part of God cause him to give up some of his sovereignty? No. God can still foreordain and predestine our eternal souls and do even much, much more. And it will all somehow be within his power, within his plan. And it will seem to us like we made the choice. We don't have to know exactly why and how or with whom He'll accomplish each of those things. And it being done in that way, it remains a mystery and a matter of faith. 
But again, this matter of convincing men and women that he was the Christ, the Son of God, who had come to save them from their sins and then to convince them to willingly give their hearts to him, that would turn out to be the greatest challenge then and also the greatest challenge now. And that's the message that God has given to you and me today as we view Jesus' challenges here with these people. Here in these words, Jesus told these people exactly who he was, that he was the one sent from God to preach the gospel to the poor, and he described himself in exactly the same way that Isaiah described him. He did this on several occasions. He said, I came to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Folks, those were credentials. Those were credentials that God had put into place hundreds of years before Christ came to the earth. And now he was living them out. And yes, again, some of those people there that day, they wanted to believe in Jesus. They were mesmerized by his powerful way of speaking. But then, it only took one rebuke. Just one rebuke. The account in the scriptures about Elijah being sent to this widow in Zarephath. And also Elisha being sent to Naaman, the Syrian. Both of those were Gentiles. That was so offensive to most of the people that were present that day. They could not accept that God would choose Gentiles and to minister to Gentiles over ministering to a Jew, to any of them. And so many of the people then who had just praised him, suddenly they turned against him and they wanted to kill him. Listen to these words again, verse 28. So all of them in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down off the cliff. Challenges to our beliefs cause us to react and to do things that we might not usually do, that we might not even be able to imagine ourselves doing. But let me say to you and to, that these same kinds of challenges are all a part of the process that God has designed to reach into and to examine each of our faith. He had several hard sayings. God had several hard sayings that he would make from time to time. Jesus would do that. They were put in place to reach into and to examine our faith. Here in this incident in the synagogue, we see a sudden Change take place in the hearts of the people. With only a few words of rebuke, these people just turned away. And they even wanted to kill him. With you or me, it, it might be similar. Perhaps not as violent. But it'll be similar. It can be. With only a few uncomfortable words from a preacher. Or from a fellow church member. We might decide not to come back to church anymore. How many times did that take place? Usually, though, it's not just turning away so quickly on account of one incident. It takes place more gradually, generally, in most people's heart. Most often, we just quietly drift away from our relationship with Christ. It might be as a result of a pandemic like it's taking place right now. Churches are empty all over this country. It is more convenient and more safe to sit at home. God says, I don't want you to abandon Assembling yourselves together. So it might be a pandemic. It might be some other form of illness. 
Or we might just get distracted by the things that we're doing or activities and good friends who steal our time away from going to church or from reading our Bible, from praying, from going to Bible studies. The end result is all the same. We look back and we've stopped going to church. And that distraction, that kind, all those distractions are all that the world, flesh, and the devil are looking for. That's the opportunity that they use to cause us to lapse back into this great challenge that Jesus faced there in the beginning. And we begin to question all over again, is, is Jesus really who he says he is? Folks, that really can happen with you and me. Satan is persistent and he is committed to stealing your and my soul away from Christ. How can that take place? How can that take place with you and me personally? It might begin with just a quiet pondering that creeps into our thoughts. If we leave those thoughts unattended for a while, they can eventually erupt into just full-blown, powerful doubt, asking is this religion that I had once, that I trusted, is it real? Is Jesus Christ really God? Is He really a Savior? Is He my Savior, sent from God to save me? Folks, as I say these words to you, I know of family members that this very thing has happened with. You have family members that this has happened with. For one reason or another, they've drifted away. They started out in the church... They started out believing strongly, but then something caused them to drift. It may have been something that the pastor said, but most usual it's just other distractions. As much as you and I might not want those kinds of thoughts to keep coming into our own minds, folks, they will. And you and I need to know how to deal with those thoughts. Again, where do those thoughts come from? They come straight out of the pit of hell, folks from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they have only one purpose, and that is to confuse us and to turn us away from Christ. As these scriptures tell us, the evil one has one desire, that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy each of us and our children and our children's children. Thankfully, though, even when the world, the flesh, and the devil combine all of their efforts to hurt us and to turn us aside with their questions and doubts God remains close close at hand to be our defender and to be our helper and if we're careful and if we listen for and we hear that still small voice of his and we respond rightly to his help then our questions can then get settled quickly and rightly and by those answers often enable us to move on forward more encouraged than we'd ever been before you and I must be confident and take great pleasure in knowing that God is faithful and trustworthy even when we are not. And in knowing that He is far more powerful than the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that as they try their hardest to do us harm, that God is right there at work to turn their mischief right back into their face. But how do you and I keep and hold on to our confidence? and our faith in the Lord in the midst of all of the trials and the battles that beset us. Folks, listen. If you haven't listened to much of the first part of this message, 
Listen to these. The answer to all of those problems is given to us clearly in these scriptures. You and I gain and we keep our faith by the hearing and by the receiving of God's word. Listen to these simple words. Romans 10. So then, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Such simple words. You and I gain faith and we keep our faith by staying in constant contact with Christ by the reading and by the hearing of His Word. I'm reminded of soldiers on the field of battle getting all caught up in the rage of gunfire and exploding artillery and and the like. And if they're not careful, they can get confused and they get disoriented. The rule for survival and victory is to keep focused on the directions given by the leader. To listen for that trumpet call and to follow that banner carrier. To go in his direction. That same truth is being revealed to us here in these words of scripture. You and I must keep constant contact with our leader, with our guide. Constantly focused on his trumpet call and constantly keeping our eyes on him as our banner carrier. Listen to these words. Hebrews 12 too. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Such a rage of battle going on during those days of of his suffering. Who for the joy set before him endured that cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's telling us, fix our eyes on him, on Christ. How do we fix our eyes? How do we keep our eyes fixed in amidst all of the battles that are in our lives? Again, we do that simply and practically. And listen, by setting aside time on a daily basis to read these scriptures and to pray. Folks, we do that same sort of thing by feeding our body with food. Why not do the same thing with our soul? Do you have a time every day set aside where you read your Bible every day. Do you set aside time to pray? These words that we'll read as we open up the scriptures each they're so much more powerful, so much more helpful and comforting than anything that we could imagine. And why is that so? Jesus told us again in just simple words the best reason. It's in John chapter 6. He says, these words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. These words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. These words of Scripture actually have the very Spirit of God residing within them. Do you believe that? These words of Scripture actually have the very Spirit of God residing within them. And as we take those words into our soul, they bring with them life and answers. Answers that we had never had before. And they bring comfort and they bring peace for our times of trouble. Guidance for the questions that come to us, no matter what those questions might be or from whence they might come. So then, as Jesus steps on forward into your and into my heart, let you and I make his challenge easy with us. Let you and me commit to opening up our hearts and our minds. And let's begin by committing ourselves to a firm and unyielding plan 
of reading His Word and of prayer every day, beginning this very day. If you don't have time, find time. I shared with you all some time ago that there came a time in my life and my family and it was so caught up in the busyness of each day. I found a simple answer. Get up earlier. And I've kept that habit before the Lord. Jesus said, The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Let's pray.